Good evening. Again, it's good to see you. We're glad that you're here tonight. We appreciate your patience, all of us. Several of us are pastors, and this is a very important step for Nick, and it has to be done according to procedures in the presbytery in order for everything to be done right. So we are going to rework a few things. So the stuff is there in front of you, but we're going to rework some of the order because we are still honestly waiting for one person who really needs to be here and be a part of the commission. So they're on their way, but it's going to take a little time. And the only, only other option we had was go eat first and then come back up here. And uh, yeah, and the, the, the problem was I was afraid once you ate, you would never come back up here. And so, but we may, you know, we're, we're going to try to get it all in there. Let me just explain quickly, and I will later on the, the purpose, but we have to have certain elements and certain things done because as Presbyterians, the one thing we do love is purity and peace and proper order and structure. And we would hate to do something and then find out later it was brought back and had to be done again because then all of you would have to come back and do this again. So, uh, but let, let's begin. We are here. We are glad that you're here. It's good to have uh, pastors from around the area, the ordained ministers. We had to have several churches and people involved. So, uh, we appreciate your patience, but let's begin this morning, if you would. Please stand with us. We're going to read Psalm 66, verses 1 through 4, and I invite you in this call to worship to join together with me as I read the light print and you could read the bold print together. Shout for joy to God all the earth. Sing the glory of his name. Give to him glorious praise. Say to God, how awesome are your deeds. So great is your power that your enemies come cringing to you. All the earth worships you and sings praises to you. They sing praises to your name. Amen. Hymn number 55, To God Be the Glory.
just remain standing while I lead us in prayer. Heavenly Father, we are so thankful that here tonight as we gather together, your Holy Spirit, he is here with us, and that he binds us together as a family as we gather together to celebrate what we're doing tonight for Nick. Lord, I pray that you'll set all the hustle and bustle aside again, all the worries that's taking place, and let us focus for a few moments on what you've ordained to happen in your church. Remind us that you're the one that's calling servants to yourself. You're the one that's drawing people to yourself. You're the one that's calling us to come to you. And so, Lord, we give you the praise and the glory that here tonight, regardless of events, we're coming to exalt you in what you've done in the life of Nick and for his family as they come to serve. Lord, we do thank you that you have forgiven us of our sins for all the times that we have fallen and failed. And we know that you've restored us. And as we've been learning, we can serve with a cleared, clean conscience through the blood of your son. It's in his name that I pray these things. Amen. You may be seated, and there in your bulletin, you'll see an opportunity for us. For those of you who are visiting with us, it's normal for us to share together in the confession of our faith. We do that sometimes through the reading of questions and catechism questions from the larger or shorter catechisms. We also share together through the confessions of faith, but one thing we do is share together in common the expression of our faith through the Apostles' Creed. And so there written in your bulletin is the Apostles' Creed. I invite you to share that together with me. I know it's not bold print, but we'd like you to share together with me as we do it. So let me ask you, as a church, what is it that you believe? I believe in God the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended into hell. The third day he rose again from the dead. He ascended into heaven and is seated at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From there he shall come to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. It is here we want you to kind of disregard some of the things in the bulletin. We're going to move those so that we can have them. But I do want to take a moment as we move forward to explanation of what is called the proceedings. Tonight is very important. We have elected a commission, and I want to explain that because many people have asked, many of you new to Presbyterianism may wonder, what's the difference in committee and commission? Committees are designed and installed to go and get information and bring that back so that people can make the actual decision. Commissions are empowered to actually go forth and accomplish the task before them. So a good example would be if you're on a pulpit committee, you don't just go out and find a pastor and bring them in. You go out and gather people that you're interested in, find that pastor, and then bring it back to the congregation who has to do the vote because you were just a committee. But in this case, we're a commission. And so that's why it's very important that the teaching elders and ruling elders from a certain number of churches, we have been empowered by the presbytery to install Nick as the pastor. You've already voted as a church 
to say we want him as our pastor. He's already been examined by the presbytery before. He's already been ordained. What this is is a chance for us to actually say he has properly been put in place so the purity and peace of his ministry can go forward in the right way. And so that accountability takes place at Presbytery. And so tonight we'll be doing several things. So it's my job to explain. We will be having questions for Nick to answer and we'll be charging Nick the way he should be serving together in ministry. We'll have questions for the congregation. We'll be charging you as a congregation to uphold those truths as Nick serves here. And we'll be hearing the word preached and we'll be opening a right hand of fellowship it will be those up here who are ordained in a time, those in the presbytery, those of you who are ruling and teaching elders will be invited to come up and be a part of the right hand of fellowship in the presbytery because that's where Nick's membership actually resides. And then we'll have a time after this, that's why we have the fellowship, is when you get a chance as a body to go ahead and go downstairs and meet with Nick, fellowship with Nick, and be excited to have him here. And so the process is very important as we go forward. And so at this time, as we move forward, um, I'm going to ask Alan Smith if he would come. He's going to read the questions uh, to, or, or, or to the candidate, and then I'm going to give the charge to him. So Alan, at this time, if you would come and read those questions uh, to Nick. Nick, would you please, yeah, I was going to say, would you please come and just remain up here as we install Nick here as we go through the Presbytery. Nick, it's great to be here with you, and it's great to be here with you, uh, beloved friend, uh, church here, uh, installing Nick. And I just want to make a, a, a brief uh, introductory comment that when we love someone, we, it's natural for us to make commitments and protect it. That's what vows are. And uh, anytime we have a wedding ceremony or a baptism or any kind of inst installation, vows are the centerpiece of what we're doing, covenanting together to protect this loving relationship as you obviously love him because you've come out on this dreary afternoon in the rain and uh, to, to uh, celebrate this time with Nick. So Nick, I have a few questions for you. Are you now willing to take charge of this congregation as their pastor, agreeable to your declaration and accepting its call? Do you? Yes, I do. Do you conscientiously believe and declare, as far as you know your own heart, that in taking upon this charge, you are influenced by a sincere desire to promote the glory of God and the good of the church? Do you? And you, do, you, do, you, do you solemnly promise that by the assistance of the grace of God, you will endeavor faithfully to discharge all the duties of a pastor to this congregation and will be careful to maintain a deportment in all respects becoming a minister of the gospel of Christ, agreeable to your ordination engagements? As Alan has read those questions at this time, we're going to ask uh, Pastor Dan if he's going to come and give a charge to the congregation. Is that right, Dan? If you'll, is that not right? Oh, we're doing Nick. I'm sorry, Nick. <laughs> yeah, I was looking through. So I have the, the charge here in Timothy. Many of you know the passage together. Uh, it comes from Timothy, 2 Timothy. It's a very familiar passage. It says, 
Nick, listen to this as it's Paul writing to Timothy, one pastor to a young pastor. Um, not a matter of age, but a matter of wisdom, trying to tell Timothy what he's going to face in this world. And from a minister to a minister, from ministers to a minister, what you're undertaking here is not going to be an easy task. And so I want to read from Scripture. It says, Paul writes, I charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is to judge the living and the dead, and by his appearing and his kingdom, preach the word, be ready in season and out of season, reprove, rebuke, and exhort with complete patience and teaching. For the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching. But having itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions and will turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into myths. Nick, I would charge you to keep the church in a season of preaching the word. There are times in a church in which they leave the importance of the preaching of the word. It is my charge to you here this evening that you would not let that happen under your watch. I would charge you to be very careful that as times change and as people want different things, that you would make sure this church stays a season of preaching God's word. I would also charge you in the second thing that says that we should do this in a way of meekness, patience, and teaching. Nick, I would charge you that as you minister to other people, that you not ever let Satan convince you that you're above them as you minister to them. In so many instances, we have churches where the pastors think the people owe them and belong to them. And I would charge you here this evening to not only keep this church in a season of preaching the word, but to be patient, to be gentle. And lastly, as it says here, to let them turn to their own passions, I charge you, Nick, that you not let the church, the people, those that come, when they begin to go wayward and want themselves tickled, they want to be entertained. I would charge you to stay faithful to the word. Keep us in the word. Be patient with us. And then know that we want to go forward to bring glory to God. Let me pray for you. Heavenly Father, as we charge Nick with the importance of ministry, there's so many tasks that he'll face, so many duties he'll go into, so many people he'll reach out to and minister to. Father, Satan makes his way, whether he slithers like a snake or roars like a lion, he'll make himself evident in so many ways. Lord, I pray that only through your Holy Spirit, the power you give to Nick as you strengthen him and indwell him, Will he be able to keep us, a church that is in the season of preaching the word, and that he will not allow us to be compromised, that you will strengthen him. Lord, to not only keep us in the truth, but to practice that as he is gentle with us, that as he ministers to us and tries to understand us, that, Lord, he will never see himself above us, but as one of us, still needing your grace just as we do. And that, Lord, we will always exalt your kingdom. We will keep in mind that it is you who died for the church. It is your son, Jesus Christ, he whose blood was shed for us. 
and because of him we can all serve together richly. Lord, I pray that you'll bless Nick in all these endeavors. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. And at this time, Alan's going to come and read some more questions to you as a church. All right. So Nick had three questions. You have four. So do you, the people of this congregation, continue to profess your readiness to receive Reverend Mr. Nick Stalnos, whom you have called to be your pastor? Do you? Good. I like the answer. Do you promise to receive the word of truth from his mouth with meekness and love and to submit to him in the due exercise of discipline? Do you? Do you promise to encourage him in his labors and to assist his endeavors for your instruction and spiritual edification? Do you? And finally, do you engage to continue to him while he is your pastor that competent worldly maintenance which you have promised and to furnish him with whatever you may see needful for the honor of religion and for his comfort among you. Do you? So this is now fulfills BCO requirements of chapter 21. Has thus been fulfilled. Thank you very much. And I don't know if he said Alan is one of our teaching elders. We call teaching out of bounds. You may recognize him. He is actually serving at Bay Area. And as one of our ministers, we're allowed to, to do that, what we call out of bounds, and still remain ordained within our presbytery. So at this time, Dan Smith, the organizing pastor of this church, wants to come and give you a charge. There wasn't even a whistle for out of bounds or something. <laughs> well, there's a part of me, as, uh, as someone who's had a privilege to to be a pastor to many of you, there's a part of me that as I think about charging you, the congregation, that just wants to say, you're doing great, just keep doing what you're doing. <laughs> um, but that probably would not satisfy what, what uh, Presbytery is looking for from me. And so I'd like to, to instead charge you from two different verses uh, from Scripture. One is from Ephesians chapter 4, verse 11. And these both will probably be pretty familiar to you, but Ephesians 4 verse 11 says, it was he referring to the Lord who gave some to be apostles, some to be prophets, some to be evangelists, some to be pastors and teachers to prepare God's people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. And I don't, I'm not going to try to unpack that entire couple of verses there, but um, just to really draw our attention briefly to the fact that the Lord has, has called both Pastor Jerry and now Pastor Nick, um, continuing to call Pastor Nick to be pastors among you. And, and I know from experience that it is not your tendency to just say, oh, great, we have two pastors, too. You know, we have a senior pastor, we have an associate pastor now. Now we can do less because obviously Nick is now going to do more. Um, there may be some. <laughs> I, di I didn't know we were. Yeah, that's wonderful. So <clears throat> I guess my point is, Notice in this passage who the ministers are. It's not just the pastors. 
Nick's calling is to be among a number of roles in the church that are intended and designed by God to equip God's people for ministry, for works of service, that we might all grow to maturity and be built up in unity of the faith. And so what that really means is that while we are installing Nick today as an associate pastor here at the church, the real ministers of the church are all of us. And his role is to partner with Pastor Jerry to equip you for ministry. And so uh, my, the first part of my charge is just to encourage you to embrace that role that God has called you to minister and, and, and you're ministering with him. But it's not just he's got it now, you're free to, to, to move about the world without concern for God's mission. Then the other verse that I wanted to read for you is in Hebrews chapter 13, verse 7, which says that, remember, it says, remember your leaders who spoke the word of God to you. Consider the outcome of their way of life and imitate their faith. And there are three things here that the writer of Hebrews draws to our attention. First, he says, remember your leaders who spoke the word of God to you. And obviously you're here tonight and you haven't forgotten your leaders. You haven't forgotten Nick. But it, but it draws out this, this important idea that he is one who ministers the word of God to you. And I just want to encourage you to receive the word of God from him. God has put him in a position where, as, as Pastor Jerry has already charged him, one of his roles is to preach God's word to you. And there will be times in your life when Nick is wonderful in your eyes, where you see him, you think he is a, one of the godliest men you know, and, and your relationship with him is wonderful, and he encourages you all the time, and it is easy for you to receive God's word from him. But there may be other times when he will, he will dis disappoint you. I'm not predicting that he'll disappoint you, but he could. And if he does, then what do you do when you hear God's word from him? Do you begin to shut it off? Do you become less open to hearing God's word just because you've been reminded that God is delivering his word to you through a flawed human being, although you should have known that already? So remember your leaders who minister the word of God to you. And then the second thing the writer of Hebrews points out to us is he says, consider the outcome of, the way of, of their way of life. And consider, the word consider does not mean judge. It doesn't mean evaluate. It doesn't mean critique. It means ponder it. Consider the fruit of his life. Be encouraged by the fruit of his life. The, the search committee that, that you elected and put into place to call Nick to this role has already vetted him. He's already been ministering in your midst for how many years now? Six, six years. See, he knew that pretty quick. <laughs> so he's already been ministering in your midst for six years. You've had an opportunity to figure out if he's really a good fit, if he's really qualified, if he's really called to be here, and you've agreed that he is. I'm not saying don't, don't look with any kind of discernment on him. I'm just saying let the fruit of his life minister to you. Let it be an encouragement to you. And then the last thing 
that I just want to bring, bring out of this is, he says, and imitate their faith. As you, as you consider the leaders in your life, it's think about the fact that they minister God's word to you, consider the outcome of their way of life, and imitate their faith. Now, this does not mean imitate their behavior. It doesn't say become Nick's clone. But look at his faith. Look at his trust in the Lord. Watch him as he comes into situations that are difficult and watch him trust God to bring him through them. Imitate that. When you see him come to, to tough decisions in his life and he chooses to honor the Lord rather than going the way of the world, imitate that. And so, remember. Remember your leaders who speak the word of God to you Consider the fruit of their life and imitate their faith. May that be easy for you to do with Nick as, is it, as it is with Jerry. But even when it's hard, I pray that you will be able to do that. Let me pray for you now. Father, thank you that you have made provision for the church. You have raised up and given gifts for pastors and teachers and evangelists. All kinds of gifts that you've given to the church, that the church might be built up, that we might grow to maturity, that we would have, have unity as we embrace the truth of the gospel and the finer points of, of what your word teaches us about all areas of life. But you've, you've given us these particular roles, the role of pastor to equip us as a church that we might serve you. Lord, we, this church exists here not to just be a platform to display the gifts of a couple of people, but you've put this church here to reach missionally into the community of South County because the people who live here need the gospel. The people who live here need you, need a relationship with you. They long for something that they know deep down that the world cannot provide. And that's something that they need is you. And so Lord, would you continue to use this church to bring that message, that hope to this community? And would you not only use Jerry and Nick to equip this body to do that, but would you help this congregation to embrace this role, this mission? that they might see themselves as those who are being built up and equipped, that they might serve you as well. Thank you for these things, and we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. At this time, we're going to ask you to stand. We're going to sing with you. It's not there listed, but Sarah's got it ready for us. The church is one foundation, so stand with me. We're going to sing hymn number 347 together. And we're going to sing the church's one foundation.
be seated, and at this time I'm going to ask Phil if he would be willing and come up. He's going to read our scripture and then prayer, and then we'll have our message here this evening. If you would like to follow along, the verse is John chapter 8, verse 12. It says this, again, Jesus spoke to them saying, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. Now would you pray with me, please? Oh, Father in heaven, we thank you because you are not a God who is far off Though you are in heaven, Father, you are also a, a God who is near to us. We thank you for with you is the fountain of life, and in your light do we see light. We thank you for sending Jesus the true light, and we know that you truly love us because you have not left us in darkness. We thank you for those that you have called to minister to minister in his name and to preach Christ who is the light. And we ask that you would be with Pastor Glenn as he brings us your word and that you would use it to edify your people and to glorify your name and that it would be particularly encouraging to Nick. We thank you for him and his ministry, this new chapter that he is going to begin at this church. We ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen. As Glenn makes his way up, um, he's familiar to some of you. Uh, Glenn and I have become friends. He's really become a mentor to me. We meet once a month, and ever since he was honorably retired from his church, Severna Park EP, uh, he's someone that I wanted to get to know better, and the Lord has allowed that to happen, and we meet once a month and talk about ministry and pray together. And it's just been wonderful, and I'm so glad that he's here to share God's word with us. So, coming up, brother. God bless you. God bless you. I've been looking forward to this for a long time. I've been praying about it. And had it in my calendar as the 29th. So, uh, I'm sorry to have held things up. Um, I want to say one thing about Nick, though. We have been meeting and sharing and learning from each other, but as far as I know, up to this point, he is still very punctual and, uh, and never gets the dates wrong. So he has not gotten that from me. Okay. This text, this uh, text from John, it's a text that almost has to be felt as well as, as heard to be understood. It was during a worship service, okay? I mean, a, a big feast, big worship service. Uh, this is a worship service, and collectively a number of hours have gone into planning and preparing it. Careful, a thoughtful liturgy. It's an important occasion. All of those things were true here. This uh, Feast of Tabernacles or Booths, Harvest Feast in October, commanded by God in the Old Testament. Seven days of special celebration, carefully planned. Many hours to get ready, music from choirs, readings, 
offerings of grain and wine, thanking God for the harvest. And over time, although it wasn't part of the Old Testament text, they added offerings of water because crops need water. And each day, a bowl of water would be ceremonially drawn from the pool of Siloam in Jerusalem, taken to the temple and poured out at the altar. On the last day, this water ritual was performed seven times until the water was coming out all over the altar and then kind of running down. This was a big deal. This was a big worship service like this one. And just at the climax of pouring out of the seven bowls of water flowing down around the altar, as if waiting for that climax, Jesus stands up and he shouts. He shouts and everything you know, stops. What if someone were to stand up right now in the middle of a service and say, if anyone is thirsty, let him come to me and drink. And out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. Pardon me for shouting, but that's what Jesus did. He shouted to be heard by everybody. What would you be talking about when you went home that day from worship? And Jesus stopped that formal service to claim that what this service was about was really about him. You think that's true? You think it's still true? Jesus could have done what he did, I guess, as a protest against uh, dead worship, but I don't think so. I think his, it was a simple reason he did it, was to assert that faith in him is the center of all worship. And he felt that this occasion, when the floor of the temple was soaked around the altar, was a perfect time to call people to faith. Where did this idea come from? You know, as with many of Jesus' word pictures, the origin, I'm sure, was the Old Testament. Uh, you, can, you probably think of some things like Isaiah 55, come everyone who thirsts, come to the waters, or Later in Isaiah, I'll pour water on the thirsty land and streams on the dry ground and pour out my spirit on your offspring. Or Joel, in that day all the stream beds of Judah shall flow with water and a fountain shall come forth from the house of the Lord. That's getting close. But I think that Jesus' emphasis on living water, I, I'm, I feel certain, was a passage from Ezekiel and a vision which he had. Ezekiel received visions of a massive perfect temple where all of God's promises were fulfilled and all of the feasts and all of the sacrifices fulfilled, a vision. In chapter 47 in Ezekiel, he saw a picture that I believe primed Jesus to say what he said when he said it. He had a vision of water flowing from the altar out of the temple doors to the south. And then it became a stream going south and east. And as it flowed, the stream became wider, became deeper, until it finally went and found the Dead Sea in his vision. You know why they call that body of water the Dead Sea? You know, the salt content is 10 times that of the ocean. When I visited, I discovered that you really can't swim in the Dead Sea. You can't, you're just kind of floating on top of it. And you would certainly wouldn't want to get any of that water in your eyes. Man, does it hurt. Or in your mouth. It's toxic. It is truly dead, dead. When I was there, I talked to a local 
And he said, uh, you know what kind of fish you catch in the Dead Sea? I said, I didn't know you could catch any. And he, he had mercy on me. He just told me the joke. He said, well, usually we, we, we would sell you a, a, you know, a fishing rod and some bait, and uh, you go out there and you try, and of course the joke is we catch tourists in the Dead Sea. <laughs> but it's truly dead. It is surrounded by mountain, on one side by mountains of salt. It's as dry and barren a place as most people could ever, ever see. Now this is what Ezekiel saw in his vision. Then the angel led me back to the bank of the river and he said to me, this water flows toward the eastern region and goes down to the Arabah and enters the sea, the Dead Sea. When the water flows into the sea, the water becomes fresh. That's what he saw in the vision. The Dead Sea became fresh. And wherever the river goes, every living creature that swarms will live. And there will be very many fish. For this water, if this water goes there, then the waters of the sea become fresh so that everything lives where the water goes, where the river goes. Fishermen will stand beside the sea. It'll be a place for the spreading of nets. Its fish will be of very many kinds. And on the banks, on both sides of the river, they'll grow all kinds of trees for food. Their leaves will not wither. Their fruit will not fail. They'll bear fresh fruit every month because the water for them flows from the sanctuary. It flows from the sanctuary. Their fruit will be for food and their leaves for healing. The water from the sanctuary, and more specifically, the water from the altar, makes that which is dead alive. Now that temple, that temple was a great, great teaching symbol of forgiveness of sins, of dedication, of fellowship with God, all those great themes of the, of the three kinds of sacrifice. And as Jesus stood and he spoke that day, that's what the temple altar symbolized. But the real altar would not be built of stone, it would be built of wood. And on that, Jesus would be hung, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world, who creates a fellowship takes our heart of stone, turns it into a heart of flesh, an unbreakable, blessed bond between believer and God. And this text reminds us that these things have not yet happened. The text goes on to say he was talking about things that were to come, crucifixion, the resurrection, the ascension, the glorification, all these things were still in the future. And yet Jesus declared on that day the essence of faith is to believe in him. Whoever believes in me, Rivers of living water flow out. And such faith will be accompanied by an overflow of life within our hearts. I think that's what the grammar is saying. It's from the person who believes. Water that flows from the altar of the cross, and wherever it goes, it brings life. It even brings life to the Dead Sea. Perhaps this, this text is so meaningful to me is because I identify with the striking images on both sides. I understand thirst. I'm a diabetic. Uh, it's under control now, I'm glad to say. My A1C is actually pre-diabetic because I work at it. But I went for several years without being properly diagnosed. And there came a wedding where I was feasting on wedding cake. And that's about as sugary as you can get. And I started getting thirsty. So I started drinking some soda pop. And I uh, got more and more thirsty. By the time I got to the doctor, um, 
he's such a nice guy. First time I met him, he said, Dr. Parkinson, um, I think we better go to the hospital now, the emergency room. I can't measure your blood sugar. Diabetic thirst is unlike anything you probably have ever experienced. Um, it's a horrible, horrible thing. You cannot quench it. It is desperate. Your body is desperately trying to get rid of the sugar. And you just drink, you just drink, even if you're just drinking water, and it just goes right through you, and you don't feel any satisfaction at all. It was horrible. A very desperate experience. That was a physical experience that was similar to the spiritual thirst that I had had since childhood. I didn't grow up in a Christian home. I hope that you had that privilege. I didn't. I grew up with non-Christian parents, and from the age of 10, I worshipped at the altar of science. I pursued physics with a passion, eventually earning my undergraduate degree, because I thought that science is where you could find meaning, and I needed to know what the universe and what life was all about. But at college, an unexpected encounter with a computer shocked me with the realization that science could not give me the meaning that I was desperate to find. And my heart was open to new ideas. God led me to the gospel. I believed it, the truths the gospel proclaimed, and it became more than that, not just faith in a message. I, I began to believe in Jesus, Jesus Christ. I believe he's alive, and I believe that he personally called me to life. What does it mean to believe in Jesus? Of course, it means to believe that the gospel declaration is true. Who Jesus is, he is God the Son, who took on human flesh, what Jesus did. He lived a perfect human life that we all were called to live, were made to live, but don't live. He died in our place, he rose again, and he ascended to heaven. What Jesus is doing now, all part of the gospel. He's ruling with authority, and he's calling people to himself. And what Jesus will do, he will return. It's closer now than it's ever been. His judgment will cleanse the world of sin and restore the world to what Eden would have become without sin. That's the gospel. But to be honest, I didn't know, and I certainly didn't appreciate all of those points at first. I learned those things over time, and the same Holy Spirit who called me to faith helped me understand, helped me embrace them, because the truth matters. Affirming the whole gospel is one way to know that the Holy Spirit is in your life. He's the spirit of truth. But when faith begins, it is often very, very simple. Faith in Jesus, that I have found God in him, that in him God has found me. To believe in Jesus is to believe that God is like Jesus, that when I see Jesus, I can see what God is like. And when I know Jesus, then I know about God. And in fact, Jesus says, if you see me, you see the Father. You know me. And that's what it means for your soul to come to life. And Jesus said in one of his great prayers that he, he was talking to his heavenly father and he said, and this is eternal life, that they know you. This is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God and Jesus Christ whom you've sent. And when you know that God is like Jesus, then you know who God is. And if the Holy Spirit has opened your eyes to see that, then you have entered into eternal life right then. You have come to know the living God, the one who made you for a purpose, the one who redeemed you from all your failings, and you're still going to learn a lot more about what that means, and all the things that you're ashamed of, and all the things that you ought to be ashamed of but aren't yet, and all that shame and all that guilt washed away forever. 
Your very identity is going to start to get clear who you are, what you were made for, told to you by the one who made you, designed you, loves you. The church is a place where thirsty souls can find living water. Diabetes in me caused a thirst that could not be quenched. And there are many manifestations and consequences of sin that do the same thing in our soul. Your soul is thirsty when anxiety keeps you up at night. Your soul is thirsty when you cannot stop feeling bitter or ashamed or indignant or you can't stop being angry. You don't, can't control it. Those are the experiences of a parched soul in which nothing can grow as dead as the Dead Sea. Your soul is thirsty when you can't stop using food or sex or dangerous drugs to cope with life. Your soul is thirsty when you wonder whether your life means anything, whether your pain, physical pain, has any value, whether you can continue living with it or give up altogether. This church, this church is for thirsty souls. Christ's church, a pillar and ground of the truth, truth from God, truth about God, the only thing, Jesus said, that can set us free. But just as on that great day climaxing the Feast of Tabernacles, while rehearsing the truth is absolutely necessary, it is not sufficient. We must believe it. And the way to believe the truth about God is to believe in Jesus, that when we see him, we see God as much as any human being is ever going to see him because that's what a human being was meant to be in his image. And when we see his honesty, and when we see his integrity, we see who God is. And when we listen to his wisdom, we hear who God is. And when we see his compassion and his deep interest in pain and suffering, even when we've caused it ourselves, we see who God is. And when we see him give up his life for others, that is not just a theological point. It's who God is. And when we learn the promise that God has made, that we can look in Jesus and we can say, amen, I know I can count on that promise. And when we're aware that the spirit of Christ is calling us, calling me to follow him, we see who God is. And when you believe in Jesus Christ, your thirst is quenched. On the day you believe in him, you inherit eternal life. Every day from then on, as your thirst returns and drives you to him, you find your faith again. Your soul is refreshed again by the same simple gospel and truths. You know, after we, after we went for our dip in the Dead Sea, that place is gross, let me tell you. Uh, you can't get it off. I mean, you, you try. It's, it's amazing. You try to wash it off. It just kind of leaches all of the water from you. And it's, by the way, it's kind of hot there. It was a very hot day. And so uh, we, uh, I was getting kind of tired and I, using up my water bottle. And, but we wanted to visit En Gedi before we, we got back and finished our day's uh, trek. En Gedi was, you know, that hidden place where David uh, tried to hide from King Saul. Uh, some of the Psalms were written there. And I was told as we approached En Gedi, uh, that we were approaching it, and we were just kind of going into this mountain of salt. And I'm thinking, where? <laughs> you know, we're just going to hit the mountain. 
But when you got there, through some bushes, off to the side, you see an entrance, and uh, the trail gradually broadens out into a gorge, into a tiny canyon. You see caves up on the walls. David was in some of those caves. But by then, I was hurting, because I used up my water bottle. It's really hot. And it was a punishingly hot day. And the Dead Sea had leached that moisture from me. And I parched on the inside and the outside, skin like leather, mouth dry, light, lightheaded. And just then, I came across one of the most beautiful waterfalls I've ever seen. It's, it's magical. It's magical. It's in the middle of, a, of the, this desolate mountain, right in the, inside, in the middle of it. This fresh, wanting, living water. I cupped my hands and I drank of that, and it was, to this day, the sweetest and most refreshing drink I have ever had. The church is a better, more thorough source of truth than even the old temple was because we know something and we know someone greater than the temple. And your pastors, Jerry and now Nick, they can teach you the truth better than any Old Testament style priest because they know the whole story. And you, you get to believe it. Not just because the church says so or your pastors say so. They're the messengers, not the source. You get to believe in Jesus. You get to live your life knowing that God is like him and that you know God because you know him. And over and over and over, your soul will well up with living water, quenching your thirst, giving you more life than you can hold. So it starts to overflow from your heart and it starts to touch the people, even the institutions around you. And wherever that water flows, it brings life from death. God bless you. And God bless you, Nick. As we continue, let's stand together in a song of response. It's called Great is Thy Faithfulness. It's hymn number 32 in your hymn book. Hymn number 32, Great is Thy Faithfulness.
Amen. You may be seated. I'm going to invite Nick if he'll come down in the front here. At this time, we have what's called a welcoming hand of fellowship, and I want to pray for Nick. And at this time, we are going to invite, we're not ordaining and laying on of hands, but we want to gather around Nick for prayer. And then we're going to give Nick, as part of the presbytery, all of the ministers, the ruling elders, and teaching elders. If you are a ruling or teaching elder ordained in the PCA, I want to invite you to come forward. If you want, you don't have to, but I want to invite you to just come down here, stand by Nick as I uh, pray for him, and then we're going to give him the right hand of fellowship. So if you would like to come, if you're ordained in, as a ruling or a teaching elder, then you come and then we're going to give him, you might hear this comment, we usually get to them and we will say to him, we give you the right hand of fellowship to take part in this ministry with us. And so let me pray. Heavenly Father, I'm so thankful that tonight is exactly what you planned it to be. That we come in obedience to see you work the way you want it to be accomplished. Thank you for helping us to be patient, persistent, and prayerful as we walk through it. We thank you for Nick. Lord, don't only just watch over him and put a hedge upon him as we ask him and bless him to join us in ministry, but put a hedge around his family. Protect his wife. Protect his child. Protect them as they serve you together in this calling that you've placed upon him. Lord, we want to extend this right hand of fellowship to him and let him know he is a part of this body. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Please, you pray for Nick if you want while we give him the right hand of fellowship. At this time I want to read to Nick the pronouncement we have that we give to everyone who comes and then we're going to invite uh, an elder from Severn Run, uh, Bradley Schwastik, to come. This is Ted Schwastik's son, Matt Schwastik's brother. He's a ruling elder up there. And he will lead us in prayer and lead us in our closing song. And then Nick will bring us a benediction as we do that. But Nick, I read from you from the Book of Church Order and following this service in preaching through the Word, exhorting you and the congregation, charging you both, listening to God's Word before you and giving you the right hand of fellowship, I now pronounce and declare that Reverend Mr. Nick Stalnos has been regularly elected and installed as associate pastor of this congregation, agreeable to the word of God, according to the constitution of the Presbyterian Church in America, and that as such, he is entitled to all support, encouragement, honor, and obedience in the Lord. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost. And all God's children said, Amen. Amen. If you'd come. Let us pray. Most holy and awesome God, you who created the heavens and the earth and have filled this universe with splendor, you have done something marvelous here tonight. You have proven yourself mighty, proven yourself merciful and long-suffering, full of compassion as you revealed yourself on the mountain to Moses. You have revealed yourself in this same way to us, and we see it through your servant, Nick. We thank you for him. God, we thank you for all the pains and difficulties and trials that you have put him through, for they have 
formed him into the man he is now, a servant willing to put his life on the line for your people. We pray, God, that you will continue to strengthen Nick in not only his desire, but his capabilities, his talents, his gifts, for that purpose, to serve your people. I pray, God, that you will grant him extraordinary wisdom, as in this new phase of his ministry, you will be bringing to him challenges he may have never imagined. You will be bringing to him those who need the water of life. And so we praise you, God, and we thank you that we know we have the ability of going to you and receiving from you all that we need for life and for godliness. We thank you, God, for this church, for the faithfulness at grace. You have brought her through many trials and challenges, and you have brought her to this time, to this place, to this part of the county, with these men to bring glory to your name and to gather and perfect your saints. So God, we come to you with our supplication, begging you. We beg you, continue to show yourself mighty every single Sunday. Continue to show your people here at Grace EP that you are the only true and living God and that there is no other to whom they should give their devotion and their service. We pray, God, that through Nick, you will encourage the hearts and the lives of these your people that they would never fall astray, never turn away from all that you have revealed to them. And finally, God, with thanksgiving, we praise you for who you are, for your son who has been sent, who has removed the stain of sin from our souls. God, how can we not be grateful? And I pray for Nick, Lord, that you will allow him to be exactly as we will soon sing, that he would not heed riches. Pray, God, that Nick would not seek out the praise of men. Pray that there would be no treasure that is more precious to him than you yourself, and that he would indeed have only one vision. May that be your glory and the perfection of your bride here on earth. Oh God, we beg you to hear our prayers for the sake of your son. We know that you hear our prayers for his sake, for it's in his name that we pray. Amen. Please, would you stand and let us sing together hymn number 642, Be Thou My Vision.
before the benediction, I want to remind you that we've got a reception downstairs. I'd be honored if you were able to stick around and join us. And now for the parting blessing, and it's been worth the wait. So lift your hands, look up, and receive the Lord's blessing. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious, gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. Amen. We have to meet to convene real quick, and so I want to invite all of you to go ahead and head down. If you're not familiar where to go, just follow the crowd down the stairs. We'll be ready to go.